Over the last uh, several weeks, we've been talking about the church that Jesus built. And in our first lesson, we talked about prophecy concerning that church, looking at Old Testament prophecy, looking at the words of John the Baptist, uh, looking at the words of Jesus, and we realized that Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And so it was prophesied that it would take place, and He's telling us there in that verse that it's going to happen. It hadn't happened at the point where He made that statement, but it was going to happen, and we see that it happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We also talked about the oneness or the unity of the church. And we all should, as the body of Christ, wherever we meet, we all should be speaking and doing the same things. It's important that we realize the oneness, that we're all unique in the, in the sense that we are doing what the Lord wants us to do and we need a thus saith the Lord. We need Scripture to back up what we're doing. And that's why we had a lesson, several lessons, or a couple of lessons on the standards of authority in the church. We also had a lesson on the names that are used in a church, the names that the church is described as in the Bible. And some of the positions that have been set up in that church were elders or preachers, teachers and deacons are a part of that. And we looked at that. And so we looked at the organization of the church. And then we looked at worship and what was needed in our worship and what they did in the first century and how we are to worship God according to His plan, His purpose, not by our own will where it becomes vain in our worship. And so Jesus built His church. And we know that that church is established. And the Bible also tells us, is what we're going to look at today, it tells us what is expected for an individual to become a member of the body of Christ. Hopefully you've seen over the last few weeks that the body of Christ is something that is important. That Christ is the head of the church and the body is the rest of us, those of us that are members. And that would include elders, deacons, preachers, teachers, and all the members of that body. And He is the head of the church. And as I said, we want to look at the terms of entrance. What God says that we must do, what Jesus says we must do in order to be a part of His body. And we know that Jesus has all authority to tell us what we need to do. Well, we can look in the Bible and we can see that throughout the Old and the New Testament, that water played a part in some of the things that God did. We know that God used water when it came to Noah and his family. They were saved by water. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20-22, through 22, which sometimes were disobedience when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now, does now also save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto Him. There we see that Peter is telling us that Noah was saved by water. Now we understand that he was in the ark, but it was that water that lifted him up from the world and separated him from the world that made the difference. And so water stood between him and salvation. We see that because he did what God told him to do, that him and his family were saved. 
We can see that the children of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10th chapter verses 1 and 2 that they were delivered from Egyptian bondage by passing through this cloud and the sea. Where it says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye would that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. You might remember the occasion that they had exited Egypt. They were getting away. The path that they that they had chosen wasn't the normal direction to leave Egypt. And so they were pinned in when they came to the Red Sea. And it looked like Pharaoh's army would descend upon them and they would be destroyed. But God opened the waters of the Red Sea and they were able to pass through. And that water separated them from the Egyptian army. And when the children of Israel reached the other side, the waters collapsed on the army of Pharaoh and they were destroyed. We can find in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 10 and, and verse 14, that Naaman, another individual who had who was of outstanding character, but he had leprosy. And it was water that God used to cleanse the leper. It cleansed Naaman. In verse 10 it says of 2 Kings chapter 5, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall become again unto thee, and thou shalt be clean. There we find a simple solution that he was given. Go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be cleansed. He didn't want to do that. It seemed foolish to him. Why couldn't he go where he wanted to go? And he was reminded that if the prophet had asked you to do something great, you would have done it. But something as simple as going and dipping in the water, you don't want to do that. And so he went. He finally went. And in verse 14 it says, And he went down, he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh became again unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. When was he cleansed? When he dipped in that water the seventh time. He wasn't cleansed on one, two, three, four, five, or six, the sixth time. It was the seventh time when he went down that he came up that he was cleansed. But that water, was there something magic about the Jordan River? No. It was simple obedience to what he had been told that he needed to do in order to be cleansed of his leprosy. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man and He used water to do so. In verse 6 of John chapter 9, it says, And when He had thus spoken, He spat on the ground and made clay of spittle, and He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And He said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went His way therefore and washed and came seeing. The neighbors therefore, they which were before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, and anointed my eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went, and I washed, and I received sight. What if he had left that clay on his eyes and just walked around and said, hey, Jesus did this. He put this on my eyes. Would he have been able to see? No. 
He had to go and wash in the water of the pool of Siloam in order for his eyes to receive the sight. For him to be able to see, he had to be obedient to what Jesus told him to do. And so there are four examples of the old and in the new where water was used in in cleansing people or saving people. And so it really should come as no surprise to us that Jesus would say that except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He's talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had come to him at night. Nicodemus realized that there was something different about Jesus. And Jesus tells him what he needs to do. And he says, except a man be born again. He had to be born again. And what do we need to be born again? By the water, or in the water, and of the Spirit. Both of those are important. And so in the Great Commission, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 18, All power is given unto Me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. In Mark's account of that great commission, it says, And He said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. We can understand that that Gospel, as we talked about it in our Bible class this morning, it has the power to tell people and to save people, show them what they need to do in order to be saved. It's that Gospel message that Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He arose from the grave on the third day is what's really important when it comes to our salvation. Because had He not done any of those, let's say He just died and was buried, but He didn't come forth out of the grave, then He would not have been who He claimed to have been. He would not have been the Son of God. He would have not have been the, 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 the Messiah. In fact, if He had not come forth out of the grave on the third day, He would have been a liar. And so that message is something that is very important. It's important for all of us. And it's a message that as Christians we need to take into the world. And that's exactly what the apostles did on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we can see that on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit had descended upon the twelve. And they had received the miraculous power of that Holy Spirit where they could speak in unknown languages. This wasn't some jibber-jabber that no one could understand. This was known language, but it was unknown to the speaker. He hadn't studied it. He hadn't practiced it. It was something that he could do because of what the Holy Spirit could do through them. And they were there in Jerusalem for that occasion because that's where Jesus had told them to go. And so they were accused of being full of new wine because they spoke in tongues. But Peter stood up and he said, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And so he tells them what they need to do. And then he goes on as he's preaching his sermon and he talks about what was said. And he said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, "...and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." I want you to remember that passage of Scripture because that's a very important passage of Scripture. I've heard people say, all I have to do is call on His name and I'll be saved. In Acts chapter 22, 
or Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 through 36, Peter goes on, and if you read all those verses, which we don't have time this morning, but if you would read those verses, you'll see Peter declared to them the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He tells them that by their hands they had crucified the Son of God. Why did Peter and the other apostles preach that message? That's an important message. And we see earlier in Acts chapter 2 where I mentioned that they had received the Holy Ghost. Well, think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14 concerning that Holy Ghost. Beginning in verse 26, it says, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. What was the purpose of that Holy Spirit? That purpose was to bring to their remembrance and to remind them of the things that Jesus wanted them to preach. And in John chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you in all truths, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whosoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit, when it descended upon the apostles, was to guide them in all truth, bring them to their remembrance of things that Jesus taught, and to remind them and so that they could teach the things that were to come. And so when Peter's standing up and the other eleven are standing up with him and they're preaching, what are they preaching? Are they preaching what Jesus wants them to preach? Or are they making it up as they preach? This is what I think you should do. I don't hear Peter say that. Peter declared to them the Gospel. And so why did Peter preach that? Because that was what Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the builder of His church, wanted them to preach. It's the truth. You don't have to take my word for it. Either you believe this book or you don't. And if this book is the Word of God, which I wholeheartedly believe that it is, it is the truth. And it's telling us what Peter said on that occasion. You see, the Gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And that's what Peter declared unto them. What happened as a result of his preaching that message? Well, verse 37 says, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? When it says pricked, that means they were convicted. And that was for the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is to convict people. It makes you think about what you're doing. And when you realize that your life is not aligned with God, it should prick your heart. It should convert or convince you that you need to make changes. And so Peter had told them that they had crucified Christ, the Son of God. And they wanted to know, what shall we do? What are we going to do? You think they believed the message that Peter preached? I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach 
the Gospel. That Gospel is the good news. That's what that word means. And the good news is that Jesus died for our sins and He was buried and He rose victorious over the grave. That's according to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, verses 1-4. through You think they believe that message? Jesus said, Go into all the world preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth... You think they believe this message? Did Jesus stop right there? No, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Did they believe that message? Did they believe the message that Peter delivered? Peter answers the question. When they said, What shall we do? Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Repent. What do they need to do? They had crucified Christ. They had put the Son of God to death. They needed to change now and put their faith and trust in Christ and and be baptized. They believed the message. Peter says you need to change now and you need to be baptized. What's the baptism for? Jesus says it's for the remission of sin. Remember that they're being guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's telling them what Jesus wants them to say. And they're being told to repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. You could say for the forgiveness of sin. That's in some translations. Peter goes on, or the verse goes on, verse 38, For the promise is unto you and unto your children and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did He testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I've said this before, that if there was ever an occasion to say, just pray this prayer, just get down on your knees and ask Jesus to come into your heart, wouldn't that have been the best time to do it right there on that occasion when there were about 3,000 souls that were baptized? 3,000 people baptized. That's a lot of... Wouldn't it have just been easier to say, pray this prayer and give us your name and we'll talk to you. Peter didn't say that, did he? He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And that promise is unto you and to your children and to all of them that are far off. Now, how far off does that go? To the 2nd century? To the 3rd century? To the 4th century? To the 20th century? Or the 100th century? It goes on for as long as this world stands. That's how long that we are required and expected by our Lord to believe and to repent and to be baptized if we want to have our sins remitted. That's just one example. There's many other examples where we can see what took place 
Lydia and her household in Acts chapter 16, the people of the city of Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and in that occasion, on that occasion, Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 was baptized. He believed. The Bible says he believed. Now some would say, well, he obviously couldn't have because he wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit and therefore um, you know, Peter kind of tells him, hey, man, you're in a lost condition. You're in bad news. you got a problem. You need to change. People say, well, he never obeyed them to begin with. Well, the Bible says he did. The Bible says that he believed. He was a Christian. But he sinned. We can see the example of the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip taught him, and as they went on their way, they saw water, and Philip and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Why would you ask that question? Mr. Mr. Treasurer, why would you ask that question? Because Philip was preaching unto him Jesus. And when you preach Jesus, you need to tell people how to get into Jesus, how to get into the body of Christ. And no doubt, that's exactly what Philip was doing was telling the treasurer about the church that Jesus had built and how we have, can have the forgiveness of sin. In Acts chapter 10, we can read about Cornelius. In Acts chapter 9, we can read about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who was later called Saul or Paul. And now... I would like to remind you of something that Peter said on the day of Pentecost in that sermon when he said, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I've always believed that it's good to let the Bible tell us what the meaning of things are as opposed to me saying, This is what I think that it means and this is what's important. The Bible can interpret itself. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, in one of those versions or conversions, we can see exactly what took place. Because Saul of Tarsus, as I said, later called Paul, uh, Saul <coughs> recounts his conversion in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. And he, notice what he says. When Ananias came in to Saul, he asked him one question Why tarriest thou? What are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Arise. And be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Do I have to guess what Peter meant on the day of Pentecost? When we do what the Lord tells us to do in order to have the forgiveness of sin, I'm calling on God to do what He says that He would do. I'm calling on Christ to do what He says that His blood will do. And so, it's Ananias that ties the act of baptism with a calling on the name of the Lord. You say, well, maybe that was just Ananias talking. Well, do you know who sent Ananias to Saul? According to Acts chapter 9, Ananias was sent to Paul or Saul by the Lord Himself. You think the Lord's going to send someone to tell somebody to do something that He doesn't authorize? So when we baptize in water, or when we're baptized in water, we're calling on the Lord to do what He's promised when we obey Him. 
Is baptism essential to salvation? I don't see how anyone could deny that. So let's look at some of the other things that baptism does for us. Baptism is what stands between being in Christ and out of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, we find there, Blessed is the God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Spiritual blessings are found in Christ. We have to be in Christ to have the privilege of having some of the spiritual blessings that are available to those who are Christians. That only happens. I can call God my Father, but I have to have that true relationship with Him where I've done what He's told me to do, born again of the water and the Spirit. I need to do that in order to be a part of His family. And when I'm in His family, there's privileges that I have. There's also responsibilities that I have, but we're talking about the blessings, the good things. And sometimes those things that we're required to do are really blessings in disguise. We don't always look at it that way. But a lot of times when you do good for someone, when you help someone, when you're praying for someone, it helps you. Maybe even more so than it helps that other individual. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace." It's in Christ that we have that redemption. It's because of what He's done and our acceptance of that, our faith in what He's told us to do. His grace has extended it to us. Our faith accepts that. And our faith moves us to do what we're supposed to do in order to receive it. So if you want to have redemption, it isn't just, well, pray this prayer. It's I have to do what the Lord tells me to do if I want to have that redemption. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, "...there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit." When we're walking in in the light as He's in the light, we have fellowship with Christ. We have fellowship with God. And we know that we are doing what is right. Yes, we're going to walk in the light. Yes, we will stumble. Yes, we will sin. The Bible tells us that we will. And if we deny that, then we're denying what the, the Bible teaches us there in those passages of Scripture. But I remind you that the same John that says that we will sin also in the next chapter tells us that we are not to sin. You know, we're not going through life looking for opportunities to violate God's law so that we can have you know got more grace as they talked about there in Romans chapter five. Paul says, "Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We don't want to live in sin. We don't want to practice sin." We've turned away from that when we repented. And so there's no condemnation when we're walking in the light, when we're walking in truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when we're in Christ, when we're baptized into Christ, we are a new creature. That slate has been wiped clean. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 11, and this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. You want eternal life? 
then you have to be in Christ. That's the only way we can have eternal life. There's two roads that we're traveling. One leads to heaven, one leads to hell. Which road are you on? You want life eternal? Then you better be on that straight and narrow path, that straight and narrow road. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 10. Therefore I assure endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul was concerned about those who were lost, and he wanted them to obtain that salvation. He wanted them to know that they could have that salvation. Brethren, we need to share that message with people we come in contact with also. That they can have that salvation, but that salvation has to be in Christ. And the only way we can get into Christ is to comply with what Jesus Christ tells us that we must do. You say, well, Pastor so-and-so says, well, if Pastor so-and-so says something contrary to what the Lord says, who are you going to believe? Because let me tell you, on the day of judgment, you're not going to be judged by pastor or preacher or anybody else so-and-so. You're going to be judged by Jesus Christ Himself who knows exactly what He's told us we need to do in order to be saved. We all want to be in Christ because of all the spiritual blessings. It's there that they're found. And in Christ we have redemption. And in Christ we have the forgiveness of sin. In Christ there is no condemnation. In Christ we become new creatures. In Christ we have eternal life. In Christ we have salvation in Christ Jesus. How do we get all of those things? Romans chapter 6 tells us. You can see there on the screen that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And overlaid on that is the picture of what you and I must do when we do when we are baptized into Christ. We see that Jesus hung on the cross. He died on that cross for our sins. He was laid in the tomb and then He rose out of that grave victorious on the third day. And He appeared to about 500 brethren as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 chapter. And He appeared to the apostles. And we know that Peter and those that were gathered in that upper room, they saw Him on that occasion. And in that passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 6, we see what baptism represents. Because it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. What kind of baptism is this talking about? This is water baptism. This is water baptism. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that there's only one baptism. Sure, we can see other baptisms in the Bible, but there's only one baptism that you and I must comply with. And that's water baptism, just like on the day of Pentecost, just like with the Ethiopian eunuch, just like with Lydia, just like Cornelius, just like all the others. They were baptized in water. And that's what we need to do. The world hasn't changed. It hasn't gotten any better. We can't improve on what the Lord tells us that we must do. And there in that passage of Scripture it says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? 
And so we see a picture there of what baptism represents. It goes on in verse 4 and it says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When does that newness of life begin? When we're baptized into Christ. What does that imply? What does that tell me? That tells me that I'm still in my sin. I still have my sin until I go down into that water and I come up out of that water a new creature. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How do we get into Christ? How do we put on Christ? How are we clothed in Christ? Through baptism. Through baptism. I read as I was working on this sermon. I read where you know I read an article where someone was saying about us as uh, the Church of Christ that we emphasize baptism, and that's not necessary for salvation. Who emphasized baptism? Where do we get that idea that one has to be baptized in order to be saved? Did we make that up? No, the Lord tells us what we need to do. He tells us what we need to do through the apostles. And remember, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what we need to do today. We emphasize it because the Lord emphasizes it. We do what the Lord says. Go into all the world, preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If we make that up, that's what God's Word says. And so how do we put on Christ? How do we get into Christ? How are we clothed with Christ? We put Him on in baptism. We get into Christ through baptism. We put on Christ through baptism. And so, God has placed baptism between guilt and forgiveness. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, what did Peter say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When your sins are remitted, they're gone. When they're forgiven, they're gone. The Bible says God can remove them and does remove them when we do it right as far as the east is from the west. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, And now why tearest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And as we've seen in Romans chapter 6, that when we go down in the water and we come up, we're a new creature. That means that slate has been washed clean. 
there have been times over the course of my life where I've gotten my hands very dirty, I've gotten my clothes very dirty, and we put those clothes in the washing machine, and I go to the bathroom sink, and I take the soap, and I wash, and I scrub, and I scrub all that dirt away. Put the clothes in the washer. I don't turn it on, trust me. My wife turns it on, and she washes it, and all that dirt gets washed away. There may have been stains on there before where they put something on there, she put something on there, and when it's washed away, it's gone. What am I trying to say? That when I wash that dirt away, I don't concern myself with that dirt anymore. When that stain gets moved, removed from my clothing, I don't worry about that stain anymore. Because it's gone. It's been washed away by the blood of Christ. That stain and that dirt on my clothes have been washed away by water. That was water. And that's what Jesus tells us to do. To be baptized in water. To have our sins washed away. Unfortunately for some, they want to concern themselves with that dirt and that stain from the past. I don't know about you, but one of the most disgusting things that I've ever had to do is to take the elbows off of a sink or to clean out a drain where all the dirt is supposed to have gone away and to have to clean that out. You see, when that dirt goes away, that stains go away, that grime goes away, I don't want to see it again. And it's nasty. I got people that are clear out of the room when I start cleaning out the drain. They don't want to be in there because they don't want to get sick. It's gross. But that's exactly what we do sometimes with our own sin. It's been wiped out, it's been washed away, but yet we want to rehash it. We want to keep thinking about it. We got to trust God to do what He says He will do. And that's that calling on the name of the Lord. Lord, I'm doing what You're telling me to do. I'm trusting You to do what You've said You will do. And when I put those clothes on after they're washed, I'm confident that that stain's not going to reappear. It's gone. And that's what baptism does for us. It's not putting away the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. That's what Peter tells us. We're simply doing what God tells us to do. Baptism is also stands between being dead in sin and being alive in Christ. Colossians chapter two, verses twelve through thirteen. We are buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcised of the flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses. When were we made alive in Christ? When we were baptized into Christ. When when was our sins forgiven? When we were baptized into Christ. I find nowhere in the Scripture where it says I can be saved in my sin. I have to take care of my sin. And I have to take care of it the way that God has prescribed to me 
And I have to do it in accordance to Jesus Christ Himself who built His church and has every right and all authority to tell you and me and everyone else on this planet who's ever lived and ever will live what they must do in order to be a part of His kingdom, His church. It's not left up to you. And so you can see that baptism is what stands between us and being saved and being lost. As Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it gave, gave unto Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. It's His. Do I have the privilege or the right to change the terms that God has set up, that Jesus Christ Himself has set up to enter into His church, to His body? The answer is no. And neither do you. And neither does anyone else. You can say, well, it feels good right here. I think I'm doing what's right. If you haven't complied with what the Lord says, you need to change. You see, salvation is not in the water. That same article says, oh, you have to be baptized in their baptistry. You can be baptized in water anywhere as long as it's a burial. You know, the Ethiopian, they're going traveling through the wilderness there. Then they say, see, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were baptized. Had somebody write me one time, how could they be baptized? 3,000 souls, there's not enough water there. They were. Everybody wants to find an exception or an excuse. Jesus tells us what we need to do. And there's no magic in the water, just like there was no magic in the water for Naaman. It was a simple act of obedience. No magic in the pool of Siloam. It's just doing what Jesus told him to do. And there's no magic in the water that you're baptized in. It's simply doing what the Lord says to do in order to have your sins remitted, washed away, to be remembered no more. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As I worked on this sermon, I thought, maybe I should just make a list of all of the verses that say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And then make a list of those that talk about baptism and how what they needed to do in order to be saved. And baptism, those that practiced it and those that realized and taught about baptism. You see, I don't deny that Jesus said, if you believe on Me, you'll be saved. I don't deny that one bit. But I also believe that part of that belief is putting your trust in what He's taught us and doing those things. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. That's how important it is that we do His will. Oh, you may know a number of people that say, well, all they say is believe in your heart and that's enough. Well, does the majority make it all right? 
No. And Jesus tells us that also. As my mother used to say, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? Well, maybe back then I would have. But nowadays we know that the majority is going to be lost. And only a few is going to be saved. What number are you going to be in? Are you going to be in that majority or are you going to be in that few? The choice is yours. The question is, have you been baptized into Christ for the remission of sin to have your sins washed away? You can do that this morning. All things are ready. Have that opportunity as we stand and sing.